It is so excited for me to be speaking before you today. Um, this fourth Sunday in Lent, we are embracing transformation, new possibilities, and new life. This is what our journey is all about. I love the scriptures that was in the lectionary for this Sunday. The excitement in the scriptures reminds me of the first time I truly came into the knowledge of who God really was and the redemptive power of Jesus. Thinking about Jesus' grace that was given by sacrificing himself on the cross and then rising to conquer death is so unbelievable, especially knowing that I was so undeserving of it. I was so happy about that moment. I was smiling. I was giddy. I was bouncing around more than I do now. And I wanted everyone to just know God like I knew God. I wanted to shout it from the mountaintops. Come see why I'm so happy. Look at this new me. I love knowing that my past was behind me and I was made new. I was reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. I knew that nothing could separate me from the love of God, no principalities, no powers, not life, not death. Absolutely nothing or nobody could separate me from the love of God. The old me was gone, and yes, I was made new. Until I recognized that I couldn't be perfect in how I was living, and that brought out a struggle. But God's sufficient grace is another sermon for another time. But it seems like the world is so obsessed with transformation right now, you know, taking old things and making it new. Like, look at the television shows, all those cable shows about taking old. I remember for cars, I don't even know if this exists still now, but for cars, it was something called Pimp My Ride. Do y'all remember that? Is that still going on? But it was like, you take this old hoopty, and then, you know, they like pimp it out. <laughs> And, and then it comes back and has glitter and everything's shiny all over the place. It was pretty interesting. But, you know, I think now the home shows are sort of kind of taking control over everything. You know, they, you could fix the yard. You could fix, uh, you could address clutter. You could address hoarding. Um, you could fix one room and then you could just fix up the whole house. So um, I loved the one fixer-upper. But I especially love the one that had the twins that were identical because I'm an identical twin and I love seeing the relationship. It was, it's so true what they do there. But anyway, um, so the show that I loved the most was What Not to Wear. So, <laughs> oh, you know, I, I love clothes. I love makeup. I love jewelry. Yeah. I, and I love changing my hair, as you can see. Um, but uh, it would take a person who was labeled dated or outdated, and then it would um, do a total makeover of the hair and the makeup and the clothing. And, um, and you know, they would take the person, put them in this room, and then this, the, these two people would come up and tell you, look at what you're wearing here, this is awful, you know? And it was crazy because there was always, every time they, well, let me go back, they had to give up, the person who was getting the makeover had to give up all of their clothing. So that was the deal. That's what they had to do. And so it was always crazy when they were tossing the old stuff and the person wanted to grab onto at least a couple of things. And, you know, and then they would be convinced, no, it's really good to just start over, let us help you. And then it would end up, you know, being all given away. But then the results were pretty amazing. 
you know, when it was time to reveal themselves, you know, they did the cut the hair and the beautiful makeup, and every time that they, you know, they would look at themselves, oh man, I love it. So you could only imagine when it was time to present themselves in front of their family and their friends and the public. It was pretty, it was pretty funny how they would present, because there was always just two stances, two stances when they would walk out to present themselves as new. It was like, either it was like, like that, or, you know, it was like, look at me, I'm brand new, eat your heart out, right? So it was like, it brought this new life, they were joyful, they were giddy, and that's how I felt when I received the grace of God in my life. Which brings me to today's scripture, which was 2 Corinthians 5, verses 16 through 21. It says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he was committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And this is the word of God for the people of God. So this scripture alone just preaches itself, just reading it. I love it. There's so much good stuff in it. And I can't preach it all. But a couple of things stood out with me. Seems like the trouble always hangs on that word anyone. If anyone is in Christ, he's the new creature. Anyone means anyone. (laughs) This word anyone confirms that God does not show favoritism. So those in Christ no longer regard or evaluate people on the basis of their resume, their accomplishments, or their influence. Reconciliation comes through forgiveness and love, and I want to speak on love for a brief moment. If the love of Christ controls us, then we are free to be open and accepting to others on the basis of seeing them through the eyes of Christ, the one who gave himself for anyone and everyone. Old standards of judgment such as race, social status, lifestyle, wealth, prestige, and title are obsolete, null, and void. You know, 1 John 4, 7 and 8 says, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. And you who don't love, you don't know God, for God is love. You're born of God, you are a new creation. Loving one another requires that we redefine how we look at our neighbor, our community, and the world. Who is my neighbor, you might ask? Well, let me tell you. Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40, a teacher of the law asked Jesus, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So loving God and loving your neighbor, to me, it goes hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. That seems simple, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. You know, loving ourselves might sound vain, but let's really be honest about this. We do things to take care of ourselves because we love ourselves. We exercise. We pamper ourselves at times. Uh, we take care of ourselves. Uh, we protect ourselves. We fix ourselves up. So if we take care of ourselves because we love ourselves, we need to take care of others, take care of our neighbors. If we protect ourselves, then we need to protect others, protect our neighbors. But oh, how difficult we make it to love others. We add our own criteria to it. I love you because you are like me, you believe like me, or you do what I do. Or I love you just as long as you do everything I like and don't get on my nerves. This is where judgment and hate can be so easily infused. You know, I grew up in a cul-de-sac in the suburbs of New Jersey. Most of y'all know that. Um, uh, where I lived, the neighborhood, the neighbors couldn't have been so different. Uh, next door, there was an Italian family. There was an atheist family. There was a racist family. There was a Muslim family, Catholic family, and a man that we hardly saw for the 20 years that I lived there, which was pretty creepy, but he lived there. You know, I only had seen him a handful of times. So we didn't get to pick who lived in our cul-de-sac. These were our neighbors, whether we liked it or not. So our neighbors are people with different opinions, different beliefs, different lifestyles, different faiths, no faith, socioeconomic status, and so on. So going back to that word, anyone, that's everyone, guys. Not just people like ourselves. It is really doing, is really doing God's will when people use the name of God to attack a mosque, a synagogue, refugees, the LGBTQ plus community, or even a particular race. Is that doing God's will when God is love? I want to encourage everyone, even myself, that if you have a problem loving, you know, I'm not talking about the human emotions, anger, or being aggravated with someone. That's, you know, we do that all the time, right? We do that. That's human emotion. But if there's issues loving those you need to love, you might need to evaluate your relationship with God because God is love or evaluate the relationship to yourself because you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. Why are we so quick to label people? There's some sayings that I've even been guilty of saying in my life that don't necessarily match God's message about love and acceptance, such as, I'll tell you, 
once a cheater, always a cheater, or he'll never change. Those were my sayings. And when we begin to say things like this, we need to remind ourselves of God's grace to us when we miss the mark and when we did stuff that we have not been proud of. There was a saying by Hans Urs von Balthasar, and he had a treatise entitled, Dare We Hope That All Men Be Saved. It said, to give up hope for any other person, no matter how wretched their condition may be, is also to give up hope for ourselves. How can we presuppose our own final deliverance from human wretchedness into divine worthiness while assuming that others cannot be similarly saved? This is simply saying, don't think that you're the only one that can be changed and others can't. I don't think God needs a grace police. I know that at times seeing others as worthy is a difficult task, especially if someone has done something so horrible to you. You know, going back to the main scripture in 2 Corinthians, we are not to count other people's sins against them because Christ did not count our sins against us. I know it's a hard pill to swallow. I think most of us can give our own examples of situations where it was just hard to accept the person. But God entrusted us with the message of reconciliation, and reconciliation goes hand in hand with forgiveness. You know, the story of the prodigal son is an example in Luke 15. You know, Jason already preached this a couple of weeks ago, and, but I wanted to you know, just remind you, you know, this parable, as well as the parable of the lost coin and a parable of the lost sheep, was told by Jesus in response to scribes and Pharisees who grumbled about Jesus welcoming and eating with sinners and collectors, tax collectors. So the reconciliation between the father and that prodigal son did not occur because of what the son did, but because of what the father did. And if you can remember what Jason said, you know, the son went off, took what he could from his father, spent it in crazy living. And then when he came to himself, he said, let me go back to my father. And he practiced this speech, hire me as, you know, one of your servants. But he didn't even have to get that far. You know, the father saw him from afar off. He ran to him and he welcomed him. And then he put him on a robe and gave him jewelry. It was like the old was gone and this is new. So it's important to know that God reconciled the world to himself, not the other way around. God runs to us with welcoming, loving arms wide open to receive us. Do you remember the story of Moses delivering the Israelites from slavery in Egypt? How because of their disobedience and sin, they made an 11-day journey turn into a 40-year wandering in the wilderness because of the sin, because of the griping, because of the complaining, because of not trusting him. After he just clearly performed this miraculous miracle, it wasn't even like this when it was like, God, are you going to help us? Are you kidding? Really? 
Do you remember that story? But remember this. Despite the fact that the Israelites have not always been good, God has always been good to them. The old generation had to die out, though, and Joshua was the new leader that was used to lead the new generation into the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. God is able to bring forth life out of death. It was a new beginning for them. In Joshua 5.9, the Lord had said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away from you the disgrace of Egypt. And this is when they were entering into Canaan. Canaan. Um, and it's just not, it wasn't just about them, your sin, my sin. It's not just about you or me, but it's about God and God's living, life-giving love and mercy. So since Christ gave us the ministry of reconciliation, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. That's part of 2 Corinthians also. So we are called to be ambassadors. Doesn't that sound great? An ambassador here is the highest ranking diplomat, representative of a sovereign state to another. The ambassador is the chief of, any, of an embassy, which is normally located in the capital of that other country. So that seems like a pretty high position to me. Um, and we are representatives with authority of Christ. We are Christ's ambassadors. Now, I don't know what all entails of being an ambassador of a country, but I will tell you that I was an ambassador of my college, right? So <laughs> this particular college, there was 10 of us chosen, special, to go out and represent the school, and it was pretty awesome privilege. You know, I got to go to high schools and talk to them about the great programs at the college, um, got to usher many of the public events. When the college president had receptions, we were there as the hosts. And, you know, okay, don't hold it against me because I have to share this. This was one of my greatest experiences as an ambassador of that college. We got to host a basketball all-star game, right? So this will give away my, game, my, my age. But those on the roster were Bobby Hurley, Grant Hill, Cherokee Parks, <laughs> Antonio Lang. Yes. But, okay, I didn't get to see Christian Leitner, my all-time favorite hero. I love Christian Leitner. Y'all know it. Um, but I will mention the other blue, okay? The other players that were there was Eric Montross, Rick Fox, Rice, and Phelps. So, and I'm sorry, Bobby, but there, there was no NC State thing. <laughs> There was no NC State. It was just the two blues, sorry. But, um, but it was still, it was like an honor. It was an honor to be there. So I said this to say, like, being an ambassador is actually a beautiful work. I got to stand there. I had the privileges. In the midst of those pri privileges, I got to represent my school, and I was able to answer questions about my school, and I was able to tell them why they might want to attend this great college. So that's what type of ambassador we could be for Christ, telling of his grace, telling of his mercy, uh, just telling how he could reconcile himself to you. So Jesus took upon himself all that estranges us from God. In doing so, he makes it possible for us to experience a new relationship with God based upon trust and love. 
So transformative is the new relationship that we are now asked to become the visible expressions of this new reality to our world. The ministry of reconciliation awakens us to God's love so that our lives proclaim it. While we are the recipients of this divine love, we also become the agents of God who passionately exhort others to know it for themselves. You know, Jesus, he was so controversial. So I think that means we could be controversial. And Open Table is controversial anyway. You know, we're catching it from all over. But you know what? We're doing what Jesus did. We are. You know, the things that Jesus addressed and stood for, we are standing for. Let me give you some examples. Jesus addressed the crowd of the woman caught in adultery and said, he is who without sin cast the first stone. How quick do you think those stones went down? And then told the woman, go and sin no more. You know, he spoke to the convicted thief that was hanging on the cross next to him when he didn't even deserve to be on that cross. And the thief next to him said to remember me when you get into your kingdom. And Jesus said, this day you will be with me in paradise. Jesus had an encounter with a Samaritan woman. You know, he talked about living water. Samaritans were known as the unclean people. And because of this, Jesus going to her, visiting that place that people usually walked around, she was able to hear about the living water. And she was able to run back to her town and say, look, this man just told me everything that I've done. (laughs) And the whole crowd was changed by that. You know, Jesus met Paul, who was formerly Saul, on the road to Emmaus. He was blinded. He was a Christian killer. He was a follower of Christ killer. (laughs) But Jesus saw fit to call Saul. And through that encounter, he, was one, he, he became one of the greatest apostles, that, you know, that wrote these books of the Bible. So, Jesus, he stood on mountaintops and proclaimed. He walked the streets. He taught in synagogues. He stood at graves. And he went into homes. So, we become the righteousness of God through the encounter with Christ and the other and the neighbor, and the person sitting next to me, or in front of me, or behind me in the pews, and a person standing on the street, and the beggar, and the refugee, and all those calling for help. As ambassadors, we are called to live a life of reconciliation. This good news is not ours to hoard. It's ours to share to give away, and to live. So Lent asks each of us to become its ambassador with the invitation, be reconciled to God. And that's my message. I'm not as long as Jason. Jason's good. Jason's good. But I pray that you got this message. This church 
is called to be a reconciling church. We are to spread that message that whoever you are, whatever you've done, you are worthy of Christ's love and Christ's grace, and you can be an ambassador. So let us uphold who we are no matter how difficult it is. You know, it was sort of hard for me, and this is what I'm, I'm ending with, when we had the rally for the LGBTQ community. It's great standing for something until you're asked to be in the front, right? Easy to do it personally. And you know, my family, most of my family are holiness and uh, Pentecostal or whatever you want to say. Um, and you know, I, I'm not saying that all churches are the same, but I know that the churches that I came from, divorce, you can't serve the church. Homosexual, you cannot serve the church. Uh, some felons can't even get on a stage because of what they've done in their past. And knowing that I had to stand, that I would have to be vocal being here, it has made me grow so much. And knowing everyone here gave me boldness. And I'm so proud to be able to preach in front of you today. And I was so proud to stand at that rally in Garner and say that the, some of the things that the churches are doing are wrong, and we need to get our stuff together. So if you have these difficulties, trust God. Meet people. Hear their stories. Grow your compassion. Grow your empathy. And be bold ambassadors and tell people how they can be reconciled to God, and you could be that example of reconciliation. You might be the only Jesus that some may see, so make it count. Amen? Amen. Okay. So, as we prepare for communion, let us examine ourselves and do a spiritual and moral inventory let us confess that we are not the people we should be and reconcile to God. Then let us ask for strength that we can be the reconciling people he has called us to be. So let us pray. Merciful God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, maker of all things, judge of all people, we acknowledge the many sins and failures that we have committed by thought, word, and action against each other and against you. We earnestly repent. We are deeply sorrow for our damaging words and our destructive behaviors. In your mercy, forgive what we have been. Help us to amend what we are and direct what we shall be so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways, giving you glory. Amen.